You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Family Fellowship in Pleasant Hill, Missouri. My name is Dan Kogan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Family. The sermon you're about to hear from Dr. Roger Smith is part two in his Kingdom Priorities series. You can follow along with Pastor Roger by turning in your Bible to Matthew 5, 7 through 9, as he preaches a sermon titled Kingdom Goals. So I want to know, how do you gauge success? How do you know when you've succeeded at something? Well, it comes down to having the right criteria and the right metrics, right? You've got to know what success is. You know, typically in, in games and sports, a high score is the goal. That is, unless you're playing golf. And then a high score means you're playing like I do, which cannot in any way be called a success. Now, if the goal of golf were to consistently reach triple digits and lose as many golf balls as possible, then I am a huge success, which I'm sure the golf ball companies would agree. You know, they get to sell more. But when judged against the right criteria and metrics of shooting close to par with as few penalties as possible, my golf game is an abysmal failure. So I stopped. But getting the right criteria is it's what's important. It's especially when it comes to our Christian walk. I mean, we all, you know, we're here this morning. We want to succeed in our Christian walk, right? We want, to, we want to make sure we're doing things the right way. Well, in order to do that, we have to know what it is we're striving for. And sometimes that gets a little twisted. Because sometimes the Christian walk, the, the, the goal kind of becomes just avoid what's bad, Right? You know, you ever hear that the people, and, and we probably do it ourselves sometimes too, that they define their Christian walk by what they don't do? Well, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I've never done this. I used to do this, but I don't anymore. Don't you think there's more to the Christian walk than what we don't do? You see, to me, that's kind of the, that's, that's the baseline. Like, that's the stuff that God said, that's not even a part of the kingdom. Like, don't do that because it's not going to help you succeed in my kingdom. It's not going to reveal my love and my grace to you. It's not going to help you. And, and so this week, we're going to look at how the kingdom mindset starts in complete dependence on God, but it moves into a place where the outworking of that dependence begins to show itself. If we have a kingdom mindset, then what is it that will start to show up in our lives consistently? You know, how many of you in here, let's, let's just have a moment of honesty, you pick up traits from other people pretty easily. You start talking like, you know, you hang around someone a whole lot and suddenly people around you are like, well, we can tell you've been hanging around so-and-so. Because we, we pick up traits, right? It's just what we do. We're kind of wired that way. And the reason is because God wants us spending enough time with Him that we start picking up His traits. We start picking up on who He is. And, and so the first four Beatitudes we saw last week in one way or another express our dependence on God, where this week it's the outworking and the traits that should show up because of that. And so turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 5, 7 through 9. And it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Now, that's some pretty high, uh, you know, as, as they'd say in my part of the world I came from, Texas, not Portland, not Washington. That's tall cotton right there. Blessed are the merciful, they receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I don't know about you, but seeing God sounds like a really neat thing to me. And this is what Jesus says, hey, this is what's going to happen. But what we start with, and what, we, what I want you to understand today, is that if you have a healthy root, then you have healthy fruit. Whatever it is we plug our lives into, that is what is going to come out. And how many of you in your gardening have ever had to deal with bad soil? I remember I had a yard once that there was, I don't know if there was like a gas leak down deep underground or something, but there was an area of my lawn that I could not get healthy. It didn't matter what I did. I even, I dug it up pretty deep and and put down soil and planted new grass and it started growing and then it just died. There was something underground that was killing that and it, it was too deep for me to be able to dig out. Well, that is what sin is for us. Sin, as if we don't root it out in our lives and we start plugging into the things of God and showing, you know, living the things of God, then, then we are trying to grow something in soil that is contaminated and it just won't happen. And sometimes people, this happens in their Christian life so much so that they're just like, why can't I move forward? And they seem to be stuck in this just repeating loop. And the reason they get stuck is, is not because they, they hate God or, or you know, something like that. Sometimes, sometimes very well-meaning people and well-intentioned people get stuck in their faith because they don't understand the root problem of what they're doing or why they're doing it. They don't understand how their thinking has to change. And so sometimes they think, if I could just... Hey, now, many of you probably have thought this before. If I could just change this one thing in my life, everything would be good. If I could just change this one, okay, let me just tell you, that kind of thinking is absolutely wrong. And let me tell you on a couple levels. For one, trust me, there's more than one thing that needs to change in all our lives for us to be good. If, if we are vastly overestimating our own righteousness. If we're like, yeah, just this one thing, if I could just remove that, I'd, man, I'd have it together. Trust me, there's more than one. And, and two, it shows how we like to kind of isolate something in our lives, like this thing that we don't like about ourselves, maybe a bad attitude or bad thought process, bad habit or whatever, like it's somehow not connected to everything else. And that we could somehow remove it without it affecting the rest of our lives. And that's just not true. And so in Luke 6, uh, 43 through 45, Jesus says this. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, have you ever been caught in a stressful situation and maybe something came out that you knew shouldn't have? Where did it come from? It didn't materialize out of nothing. You see, Jesus says that what's stored in our heart will eventually come out. 
Now, let's go back to the Beatitudes with this because what did he say? He, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, he starts saying if your orientation is focused on the kingdom, then this week what we see is kingdom things will start to emerge. Now, this is a constant battle in our lives right now, but you will see fruit. You will see it start to happen. And what are the patterns in our lives that will start to emerge when we are plugged into the kingdom like we we should be? Mercy, purity, and peace. It will become just a second nature to us that we will start to bend towards those characteristics in our hearts and in in our minds, in our actions. And what does he say? He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what is being merciful? Being merciful is being a person who shows leniency, forgiveness, or compassion, especially to someone who has offended them. You see, one of the key facts about mercy I think that we forget sometimes is that in order for it to genuinely be mercy, there has to be an offense on the other side. You see, if if there's no offense, it's not really mercy, it's just called kindness. (laughs) We're just being nice. And that's good, God calls us to be kind, but mercy is that attitude when we have a genuine ability and reason to kind of drop the hammer on someone. And that everything in our world, in our own feelings, everything, the, the facts even, would say you are justified in getting even. In, in executing judgment, if you will, in whatever kind of situation it is. That you are justified in doing so. But mercy says, even though I have this right, I choose not to exercise it. I will overlook the offense. Now, isn't that what God does with us? And I mean at a level that none of us really truly understands. I mean, if you, it, it, just think, a holy, omnipresent, you know, omnipotent, all-powerful God. He's everywhere, all times, all at once. He knows every bad thing about us, even the things we don't want to admit about ourselves. He fully knows it, and He does not strike us dead. Because I'm going to tell you, if I were God, I'd been done with me a long time ago. Like, you're just, that's it. I'd have, I'd have killed me a long time ago. I really would have. But God doesn't do that. He, he, and he would be fully justified in doing so. I mean, if, if God just wiped us all out right now, nobody would look and go, God, that was unfair. Nobody could make that case in any way. And yet God doesn't because his heart is a heart of mercy. And if we are plugged into that kingdom and that power, then guess what? We'll become merciful. We will become a people of mercy. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Purity. Now we could spend an entire sermon series on this and not really plumb the depths of what is meant by pure of heart. But purity means to be unstained by the world. And I want you to think of it this way, that when God created mankind, He created us with a clean, pure heart that only knew Him, that only knew His goodness, that only knew His grace. We did not have the knowledge of good and evil. We didn't even know evil existed. 
And that was purity, that, that we, evil wasn't even a consideration. It, it, wasn't, it just wasn't present. But every time sin happens, it's like it leaves a stain on the human heart. And we can no longer say our heart is pure. And so instead of measuring our hearts against the purity and the wholeness and the holiness of God, what do we like to do? We like to measure our heart against worse hearts. <laughs> and it's always worse. We, we don't typically find somebody that, that does better than us and say, oh man, look at that. We like to find, and this is where we default. I don't know why, but I guess in the human heart we know instinctively that this is bad. Where do people always go? Are you a good person or not? Say, yeah, I haven't killed anyone. Well, good. I mean, talk about a low bar. We're going to be tripping over it. It's so low right there. I haven't killed anyone. And yet God is holy and, and perfect. I think His bar is a little higher. And He says, I need your heart to be pure. I, I think, honestly, this, this is something you can, you know, you can agree or disagree, but you know, I have the microphone, so I'm just going to keep talking. I think the Ten Commandments while holy and good, all they do really is reveal how messed up we are. God had to say, don't murder people. He had to tell us that. He had to say, don't cheat on your spouse. He had to tell us that. He had to like codify it. Like, hey, don't do this. It's bad. What do you think that says about us? You know, he's like, hey, don't do that. That's not good. And so purity of heart is that basically he shouldn't have to tell us this stuff. Like we should be so plugged into him that, that we just, we understand that. And yet, Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, 19, he says, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. What, that's the Ten Commandments. He's running through the Ten Commandments right there, basically, saying, yeah, it's out of your own heart that the violations of the Ten Commandments happens. And so when he says, blessed are the pure, pure in heart, pure in spirit, he says, no double-mindedness, no hypocrisy, no selfish ambition. It's about God's kingdom, not mine. God's church, not mine. God's ways, not mine. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself, what? Unstained from the world. To be pure. To recognize the difference between the stains and the sins of the world and God's holiness and to choose God's holiness. And he says, this, this orientation will be what becomes more and more of who we are as we are plugged into the kingdom. And then finally, he says, peace. He said, blessed are the peace keepers, peacemakers. Now, there is a huge difference there. Peacekeepers typically like to sweep things under the rug, Avoid. Just keep the peace. Even if something bad, just keep the peace. Peacemakers, what do they do? They jump right in the middle and bring light and love and grace and healing to situations and to people. And it's messy. And that is what we as a church, as children of God, are called to do. 
God did not abandon you to your mess. Amen? He didn't abandon you to it. What did He do? He jumped right in the middle of it. Jesus jumped right in the middle of it and got His hands dirty. And we can say He got His hands pierced. Jumping right into the middle of our mess so that He could bring peace to us. And if we're plugged into the kingdom, this is who we become. We become merciful. We become more pure. We become more peacemaking. Which means, in order to make peace, you've got to have peace within yourself, right? You ever tried to solve a conflict that you weren't ready for? <laughs> and you weren't really at peace? It'll mess you up. You'll find yourself fighting faster than anything because you're not at peace with the situation. Jesus was fully at peace with who He was and what His mission was with the Father. And so He was able to jump right in the middle of every conflict and bring peace to it. And you know, this is nothing new. What Jesus is saying right here was echoed over and over again in the Old Testament. But specifically, I want you to listen to Micah 6.8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? What is that? That's mercy, purity, and peace. You see, God hasn't changed His mind. Jesus just came along and said, look, I'm doubling down on this. God hasn't changed. we got to get it right. And so what the world needs is merciful people. What the world needs is people who are pure, who refuse to be unstained by the world. What it needs is peacemakers. Amen? We need that right now. We need peacemakers across the world. But that means, to be a peacemaker, that means that peace has been disrupted. And too many Christians are waiting for God to bring peace to the world for them to engage it. And they're like, when it's not so hostile, then I'll engage. It's like, you don't understand. You're the salt and light of the world. You are the peacemaker. You're the one that's to go into it and help bring peace to it. We have to enter into the world understanding our mission. And when we, when we do this, when we embrace the kingdom like this, we get eternal rewards. And I say eternal because it's in line with the eternity of God, with the holiness of God, with His kingdom. And that is, he says, if you're merciful, you will receive mercy. There's kind of this repeating loop to the things of God. You ever notice that? There's like this, always like this repeating loop. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor. It just kind of, the more you love God, the more you're going to love people. The more you love people, the more you're going to see God in them, and the more you're going to love God. And it just repeats, and it never ends. And that's what God wants. So, if you're merciful, you will receive mercy. And, and probably, not just from God, but probably in life. If you are known as a merciful person, then when you make a mistake, people around you are probably going to be more inclined to, what, give you a second chance? Third chance? Now, I'm not saying that that's a, you know, always going to be the case. You, you can be a very merciful person and run into somebody that has no mercy whatsoever, and you just got to leave that with God. But then it says what? Be pure in heart. It says you will see God. Now, this is an amazing statement to me. You will see God. And I think that this is for both now and for eternity. Have you ever been around those people that they just see God in everything? 
and they seem to be so at peace in life. I mean, it, the, the sun comes up, oh, God, thank you. They make a green light, God, thank you for that. I mean, they just see God behind every single blessing in their lives. And you know what? They should. But the more pure you become and the less stained by the world you are, the more you're going to recognize God's hand in this world. And so when Jesus said that, I don't think he's just saying a future, you know, hey, later on you're going to see God. He's saying, look, the, the purer you become now, the more you will see God present in your life. It's why you can have the same thing happen to two different people and one person says, God, you are merciful, and another person says, why God? Why? And, and you, you look at it from the outside and it's like, what's the difference? It's, it's like the same thing. Well, one person it, it probably has a, a bit purer heart. They're able to see God in the things in life. And then he says... Blessed are the peacemakers, says you will be called sons of God. Now understand, he was talking to pretty much only men right here, said his disciples. So ladies, he's not leaving you out. He was just talking to a group of men. So sons and daughters of God, I, I think it's fair to say. But what does that mean? To be called a child of God, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, when you were a son of so-and-so, that one meant that who that was carried over to who you were. It means your identity is found fully in God. That you are a part of the family. To be called a son or a daughter of God means that He welcomes you to the table. That you are a part of the household. That your full identity, who you are, is wrapped up in God. Now, I don't want you to think of all of these as individual isolated blessings. And even taking what we had last week, don't take them individually, okay? Uh, what do we see last week? You know, you get the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. You'll be satisfied with righteousness. This week, you will receive mercy. You'll see God, and you will be called a son of God. What is that? Can anybody describe exactly what that is he's talking about? Salvation. If you were to talk about what happens when a person gets saved... What is it? They're shown mercy. They become pure in heart. They, all of this, what he is doing is, is describing the results of salvation. So these are not individual checklist items to be like, okay, I've got to be pure in heart today. Well, good luck. You can't do that under your own power. I'm going to be a peacemaker today. Okay, you may accomplish that for a little while, but to have a lifestyle of peacemaking, that requires the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. To be merciful, that requires the Spirit of God. Because every human being has their limit. And the world will find it. Amen? <laughs> they will find it. And so, you take all of these together, you get a picture of what God does in salvation through Jesus Christ. Because in salvation, we are adopted and remade spiritually by God. We are made into new creations by the Holy Spirit. And then, once we are justified, bit by bit, or as the Scripture says, from glory to glory, and I love that, from glory to glory. You know, there is no small thing that God does. 
Everything God does is glorious. Everything. So when, when He changes your mind, when He convicts you of sin, anything He does that we might look at and say, oh, it's small. I mean, it's not that big a deal. God's like, oh, it's a very big deal because I did it. And it will grow. That's why Jesus said, start with a mustard seed, turns into something big. Never count anything God does in your life as small because there's no such thing. And Paul understood that. So he said, from glory to glory, which means more and more of the eternal becomes a part of who we are in this world. And it's ever increasing. This is one of the things I love about truth, is you can't unlearn it. Right? You, you can't unlearn it. Once you learn the truth of something, you may, you, you may try to ignore it, you may rebel against it, but you can't unlearn it. And so that's why God can say from glory to glory, every time you learn some new truth about God, you've crossed a line that there's no going back. And just think over a lifetime how much He wants to teach us. How much more of the eternal He wants to become a part of who we are. Which means an ever-increasing amount of mercy. An ever-increasing amount of purity. An ever-increasing you know, peacemaking ability as you get older. There's a reason the Scripture so many times talks about the elders in the church, you know, being the ones who lead. And elder means pastor, but it also can refer to age and wisdom and experience. Why is that? Because a lot of times when people get to, you know, a certain point in life, they've learned, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. Where younger people are like, what are we going to do? You know, you got the older person that's like, it'll be okay. We're going to trust God, and we're going to take it one day at a time. And they just stay calm. Why is that? Because the eternal is becoming more and more a part of who they are. And the world just doesn't rattle them anymore. The world doesn't just just take them away. And, And so, as we are adopted, the kingdom itself becomes more and more a part of our lives. And the world less. And this is why we can say that there are eternal goals and eternal rewards. The goal is to see as much of the kingdom active in our lives as possible right now. Isn't that what you want? You want to see as much of God active in your life as possible right now? I know that's what I want. Well, what do we do to get there? Well, we just got to walk with Him. Because we can't force it. You know, I came like, God, make it happen right now. It, God doesn't listen to that. He's like, I'm in charge here, so get in line. I'm God, you're not. Which, that's a hard one to understand sometimes. Why? But it is. And so, Christ is always there. We're justified. We're forgiven. We have His grace. And so, it's just a matter of allowing His kingdom to grow within us. And it takes a lifetime. We don't arrive on this. And we all like to have kind of arrival thinking, don't we? Like, we want to accomplish it and move to the next thing. Well, none of these things that we've talked about so far in the Beatitudes is something we can accomplish and move on. It's something that we are. It's something that we become more and more and more. And so what Jesus is doing is He's not throwing out a 
a standard that's impossible for us to meet and telling us, if you don't do this, I'm angry with you, and God's angry, and God's waiting to, to get you if you're not here. He's saying this is the reality of walking with Christ as these things will become more and more of who you are. You will start to have more of a bent in your life towards mercy. You will start to value purity of heart more and more and more. You'll value it. It's not like a legalistic, well, I've got to make sure. No, it's not like that. You'll value it. You'll realize this is where God is. And, and when I'm with God, I have peace. And when I have peace, I can make peace with others in the world. And we value it. And it becomes more and more of who we are. And so here, here's what I ask you. Can you look back on your life, say over the last five years, and see an increasing level of God's fruit? Now, when I say fruit, I don't mean absolute success. Don't measure it in like, yes, you know, five years ago I wasn't perfect, now I am. No, you're not. But do you see an increasing move in your heart and in your mind towards mercy, towards peace, towards purity? If you don't see that, you may be stuck. You may be in that repeating loop that I talked about before that we just kind of, we, we want to move forward, but we don't. And, and the reason is that we have a root in our lives that's poisoned. And we're not embracing the kingdom in growing, in, in increasing ways. We may know what's good, okay? We always can know what's good, right? Even Paul said that in Romans 7. I know the good thing I ought to do, but I don't do it. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I, I mean, that is the human struggle. And if Paul had it, we're going to have it. But Paul didn't allow himself to get stuck in it. And we can't either. To, to be Christians means that we allow God to change us, and we know that we are changing, not because we become morally perfect and never fail and never struggle and, and you know, always have the right, that is a false image of what God is doing. It's just, is there a move towards mercy? Is there a move towards loving your neighbor as yourself? If you're moving towards that more and more, then that is God working in your heart and your life. And that's why I say at the beginning, remember I said, we've got to have the right criteria. We've got to have the right goal. We've got to know what it is we're moving towards. And sometimes we get in mind that God's goal for us is that we become perfect. And what do we do? We then spend years beating ourselves up, feeling like failures, thinking, well, I should just do more for God. I should just do more. Listen, God doesn't need you to do anything for Him. He controls the world. We're not doing anything for God. We do everything because of God and with God. And so if we get the right goals that, wait, God just simply wants me to become more loving? Yes. Oh, well, that's not as impossible sounding as becoming perfect. See, it's not about that. It's about God's heart. And how do we do it? Well, Jesus is the source. And I cannot overemphasize this. Jesus is truly the source of this. In Matthew 4.17, Jesus stated, started His preaching ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that seems a little strange, doesn't it? It's at hand. What does he mean? That it's about to happen? No, he's saying it's here. Where? In him. 
He was the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth, and it would spread through his disciples and his church and his body. But he's saying, it's here. The kingdom of God's here. And people are like, where? And he's like, right in front of you. He is the source of all of this. He is the only way we can do this. It's through his power, his working within us, his spirit guiding us that this happens. We cannot muster up the strength to do this. We'll try. Like, how many of you try? You say, all right, I'm going to do this now. And we white-knuckle it, and we just think, I'm changing my life. And we work as hard as we can, and it lasts for like 12 minutes. And we're worn out. (laughs) Because being perfect is hard. (laughs) And we just can't do it. But you know what? Jesus was perfect for you we got to remember that. Like It wasn't just His death on the cross. It was His perfect life also. His perfect life lived on our behalf. So He was perfect. He died a sacrifice to pay for our sins. And He says, look, I've taken care of all of that. Now, just walk with Me. And you say, well, how do I know I'm walking with Him? Well, are you trending towards love? Are you trending towards forgiveness and mercy? Are you trending towards peacemaking? If that is the the, the trends of your life, trending towards purity, then yes, you are walking with Him. Because He is the only one that can do it. In John, we have several Scriptures. We're going to go through these pretty fast. But I want you to see, you're going to pick up a theme of what John is trying to tell us about Jesus, okay? John 1.4, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. John 5.26, For as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. John 8.12, Once again, Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, did you catch it? If you want life, he's the source. It's not about being a better person. It's not about trying harder. It's not about being harsher on yourself. It is about simply denying yourself and walking with Him. Because in Him is life. And that's what He's telling us when He says, blessed are the merciful for what? They'll be shown mercy. Life will appear. Life will be there. If you accept the mercy of Jesus, you'll show mercy, you'll be shown mercy. It's a repeat that just happens in the life of a Christian. And so I want to close with this quote that says, to prioritize the kingdom of God is to prioritize Jesus. It's not just about either the blessings of Jesus. It's not just about getting it right or being right. It's about putting Jesus first in all things, denying ourselves and following Him. When Jesus is the priority, His goals become our goals. His ways become our ways, meaning mercy, purity, and peacemaking because we love our neighbors 
as ourselves. We want to thank you for spending some time with us today. If you'd like to connect with us, join us for an upcoming worship gathering, or find more information about the ministry of Grace Family, I invite you to visit gracefamilyph.com. While you're there, you can listen to an archive of older sermons, make a charitable contribution, and most importantly, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can discover why we need the grace of God in Christ alone to be made right with Him and how to become a Christian today. To do so, simply visit gracefamilyph.com and click the link that says Plan of Salvation.